0: All right. Good morning, guys. My name is Steve. I am the lead pastor. And um, last week, we talked about politics, and we had so much fun that I thought we'd just continue right in the same vein. So this morning, we're going to talk about conflict, because why not? Right? We are in a sermon series. Actually, it's starting this morning, but it's not, because uh, midweek, I decided to retroactively start this sermon series last week. And so, welcome to the second week of the sermon series entitled Relate. I can do that because I can travel through time. And so, we are looking at um, issues in how we relate to one another. I was planning on starting this thing and I just thought, you know, I mean, last week, I mean, really, it was all about relationship. It was all about how we relate to others, and I just really feel like the Spirit is calling us to dig in specifically to this issue of humility, to sit in this for a while. And so I'm just following, man. I'm I'm like, all right, Lord, let's figure this out. So this morning, that's what we're digging into. So grab your Bibles. We're going over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one off the chairs around you. And in our Bibles, you're going over to page 1011, 1011, to James chapter 1. Now, last week, we talked about how God calls us to relate to each other through humility. We looked at the tax collector and the Pharisee who who went up to the temple to pray, right? And and how the Pharisee uh, really was, was there to kind of push his resume out to God and talk about how proud he was of himself while the tax collector showed up. And um, really, was just absolutely broken, absolutely broken. The only thing he could say was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And it was a tax collector that went home justified by God. It was the tax collector who got what he was asking for, which was grace. All right, God is calling us to see the world through our need, not through our rightness. It changes the way we relate to God, and it changes the way we relate to others. So this week, I want to talk about how this plays out in a very practical area, uh, an area that that many of us don't like, many of us try to avoid, but it is going to happen, right? We're talking about conflict. So talking about conflict, um, are any of you on Facebook? Yes, I see those hands. Uh, I as well. Uh, You got to love Facebook conversations because anything you say can be turned into a fight, right? Like I can get on there and say you know what? I like dogs. Person two, who is a friend from high school, I haven't even talked to him for 30 years, pops on, can't believe you hate cats. <laughs> Person three, who is my friend, but I really have no idea how they're my friends, I don't know who they are, jumps on there and says, cats are from the devil, get a job. <laughs> Person two comes back and says, Tigger was a cat, I can't believe you would hate Winnie the Pooh. I jump on there and said, who says I hate cats? Person four jumps on, who is a friend of a friend, I don't even know who they are, and they're like, you have no one to blame but yourself when there's a global shortage of cheese. All right, so that is, that's kind of how they run, right? It really is. That's how it goes. Facebook is full of these conflicts, and I'm not even sure you can call them arguments. They're more like competing monologues. You know what I'm saying? They really are. We're arguing but we're arguing with the words we put in other people's mouths. We're not actually arguing with them. We're arguing with the words that we say they're saying. And it's not just on Facebook. It happens all the time. It happens in our homes. Have you ever been in an argument with someone and had to say, I never said that. That, Those words didn't come out of my mouth. That's not what I said. Here's the thing. Conflict's unavoidable. It is unavoidable. And we are going to have disagreements and there's a lot at stake in how we disagree and how we move through conflict. If we don't push in to let the gospel humble our hearts, we will in our pride destroy our greatest treasures. So let's take a look at our passage. James chapter 1. We're looking at verses 19 through 21, starting at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls." The word of the lord so james starts out by saying know this beloved brothers it's kind of way his way of saying look you guys this is important right but it's not going to feel right i'm telling you something right now that is important but you're not going to get it it's not going to feel right it's kind of like when a good dad takes his son and is like look dude you just have to trust me right now I'm going to tell you it doesn't feel right you're not going to want to do what i tell you but but you just got to trust me this is in your best interest and then james goes on and tells us what's in our best interest he says you are to be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of god when you are entering conflict Right? This is really easy when there's no conflict. <laughs> this is really, really easy when everyone's getting along and everyone's saying what you want to hear. It gets a lot harder when there's conflict, when there's a disagreement, when you're entering conflict and, and someone says something you don't want to hear. They say something that you perceive is just not true. When they misrepresent you, when they put words in your mouth, and say you said what you never said. When in, they are hard to deal with because they seem like they're determined to make you feel bad. Or you just don't like the person talking. It doesn't even really matter what they're saying. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Be quick to hear, the Greek word akouo, means to hear, but it means a lot more than just to hear. We have two English words for hearing, right? Hearing and listening, and and those are different, aren't they? Right? You can hear a lot of things without actually listening, right? Uh, And and, and that is is true. Anytime you're in a coffee shop, you hear a million things, but you're only listening to one or two, right? And, And the verb here means to pay attention to to listen, to understand. Not just hear, be quick to hear, I hear your noise, right? But to hear, to listen, to hear, to understand. It's talking about um, an attitude of attentiveness. When he says be quick to listen, he's talking about an attitude of attentiveness. Like I, I my, my attitude, my desire is quick, it is urgent to understand, To be quick is to be eager, not to be right or even to be understood, but first to understand, to see through their eyes, to understand their experience. To be quick to hear means to be urgent, to be eager, to engage in such a way that I see from their perspective. And because you are eager to listen, to understand, you are also going to be slow to speak. You are slow to draw conclusions. You are slow to make your point. It's not that you don't formulate your own thoughts. And it's not even that you don't come to contrary opinions. It's that your first priority is not to speak, but to listen. Your first priority is to understand, not respond. Stephen Covey has a quote in your bulletins, which is really insightful. He says, most of our relational problems come because we aren't listening to understand. We are listening to reply. And that means that we aren't really thinking about what the person is saying. We aren't listening to understand. We're thinking about what we're going to say instead of what is being said. We're thinking about how they are are giving us ground for our argument. What lever can we pull? What word can we use? What angle can we take to make our point clear? We're looking for leverage, not understanding. We're looking to win, not to have human connection. We are to be slow to speak. We are... uh, That means we are also then to be slow to anger. The word for anger here, orge, means wrath, um, which means like a righteous anger. And I think the English word that might work better for us is offense. That we would be slow to take offense. Slow to move into that sense of righteous anger, righteous indignation. Here's the thing, you're not always in a conflict going to like what you hear. It may even be wrong or offensive. But James is saying you need to be slow to take offense. If you're walking around offended all the time, it closes off your ability to listen. Listen. It's like your husband or boyfriend looks at you and says, hey, I like your dress, and you're like, what? You think it makes me look fat? When you're always offended, you always hear the offense. When you're quick to the offense, you hear it no matter what is said. So when you're offended, you hear it, and you can't hear the person. You know why? Because you're hearing yourself instead. When you're offended, you become deaf to the other person all you hear are the words you're putting in their mouth the attitudes you're putting behind their expressions so listen i'm not saying that you never become angry but it isn't your first response you are slow to take offense now this is obviously the exact opposite of how we normally engage conflict isn't it normally we get offended then we speak from our offense and we stop listening. And our self-righteous anger closes our hearts to any present experience of grace in the midst of that conflict. We put our words in their mouths. We hear what we expect them to say. And we close our hearts. You guys, this is, this is social media today. It really is. This is competing monologues, competing offenses, people showing up. They're not engaging in any kind of human way. They are simply hearing what they expect to hear, attacking what they want to attack. They are, they are having competing monologues. And sadly, this is also many of our homes. We've become entrenched in our anger, and we camp in our offended posture. We are quick to anger quick to attack, quick to defend ourselves with our words, and slow to listen. You know, it's in this place that that you can say the truly horrible thing and feel completely self-justified in doing it. It is in this moment that you can use your words to slay, to kill, to take life. And you feel like you are the instrument of God bringing justice to the situation. You're like, Steve, I don't fight like that. Ah, That's not me. I don't say ugly things. When I get mad, I go silent. Right? Isn't that better? Do you really go silent? Like, really? I don't think so. You're not silent in your head, are you? You become silent with your mouth you don't go silent in your brain right you are quick to take offense and then the monologue runs up here and it may not come out of your mouth because you might be conflict avoidant you might you might not like open conflict you may uh you may dislike or distrust open communication that that requires you to disagree with someone but i'll tell you what it leaks out it comes out in your tone it comes out in your attitude It comes out in your body language. And it shuts down your listening just as much. Because when you are offended, you can't listen. Why would you want to listen? When someone says something that's offensive, when someone says something you perceive as mean, when someone says something that really kind of gets you because maybe you don't even know how to respond why would you even want to listen you've already decided both what they are saying and why they are saying it isn't worth engaging let's be in, let's be honest the indignation in that moment the anger you feel it feels so right you feel so justified it feels so natural doesn't it doesn't it feel good to be angry sometimes doesn't it feel good to be offended? I mean it's like it just feels natural. Like like this is the proper response. You are dumb. You are offensive. You are ignorant. You are everything I don't want to be. It feels natural. But you need to know it is absolutely deadly. Because it's our pride. And it will kill our relationships. And beyond killing your relationships, it will kill your soul. Take a look at the next verse. Verse 20. Be quick to hear, be slow to speak, be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Your anger feels so justified, but it's not. It feels so good, and it makes you feel so right, but it is self-righteousness. It is not an expression of the righteous anger of God. Yeah, but Steve, what about Jesus? Didn't he get angry? Didn't he go into the temple and kick over tables and make a whip and even, like, hit people? Yeah, he did. He, he got angry. Absolutely. And you're not Jesus. Jesus. Seriously, there is such a thing as righteous anger, and most people have never experienced it. Seriously, righteous anger is about as rare as true humility, because righteous anger can only be experienced by those who are truly humble. Are you not sure? Like you're not sure about whether your right, your anger is righteous. Let me ask you this. Do you take any pleasure in your anger? Does it make you feel good to express it or to sit in it? Then it is not righteous anger. Does your anger make you feel in any way superior toward the person you are angry with? Then it is not righteous anger. Does your anger make you feel justified in shutting them down? Even to the point where you, they have no voice, you completely close them off. Does your anger make you feel justified in writing them off as if they were unworthy of grace and love, your time, or any bit of your attention? Then it is not righteous anger. Jesus was angry. And then he went and died for the people he was angry at that they might feel and experience life. That's righteous anger. That's God's anger. God is angry at injustice. God is angry at sin. God is angry at evil. And simultaneously, coexisting with His anger is infinite love and unmeasurable grace and the invitation to forgiveness. Because His anger is rooted in his infinite humility. And that's why it's so unfamiliar to us. But Steve, you don't know the people I have to deal with. I get provoked all the time. They are unreasonable. They're mean. They really are ignorant, Steve. Yeah, welcome to the club. I mean, for real right? That's that's kind of life. Think about this, you guys. Do you think Jesus wasn't provoked? I think he was provoked all the time. There was not a single human interaction in which he wasn't provoked. You know why? Because there wasn't a single human on the face of the earth who was not misrepresenting the image of God back to him, the creator of life. Jesus was provoked in every human interaction with those who hated him and those who claimed to love him with those who resisted him and those who claimed to follow him. Provocation is not an excuse for sin. It's the opportunity for your pride. And it's your excuse. So listen, let's just start here. Your anger isn't from God. It's from you. The anger you feel and the words that you say tell you much more about yourself than the person you're directing them at. Seriously. When you call someone a name, you don't define them. You define yourself. When you try to belittle someone, you're not reducing their value. You're reducing your own. Your anger is the expression of your pride. And you are diminished in its expression. It does not bring the righteousness of God, which means it will cause you to miss the blessing of God. Verse 21 puts it this way. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I want you to notice what he's saying that anger that you feel that feels so good that expression of self like mm, those perfect words that came at the perfect time most of the time they come much later you wish man. i wish my brain worked faster i would had the perfect comeback right listen those words that anger that indignation that personal offense is an expression of filthiness God looks at it and sees it for what it is. He's not deceived by your uh, rationalizations. He sees it for what it is, and he calls it rampant wickedness. Because it is an expression of your pride. Both your anger and your angry words. So he says, therefore, put away all filthiness, and rampant wickedness. Put away your pride. Put away these angry expressions of personal offense. Put away your quick-temperedness. Put it away. Literally, the phrase put away means to take it off like a garment. It's a metaphorical way of basically saying repent, (laughs) repent, repent, Repentance, by the way, is a beautiful biblical word. A lot of times we don't like it because it sounds harsh, but repentance is God's gift of change. Without repentance, we are trapped forever in the smallness of our pride and our sin. God gives us, through His grace, the invitation to change, to be set free, and and He's here giving us the invitation. Put it off. Repent of your pride. Take off the cloak of your offense. Literally take it off because you are wearing your pride like a suit of armor. And you are wearing your offense and your anger in self-protection. Right? You wear your offense to protect yourself. It's your way of closing out words you find threatening to close out ideas that you find alienating to close out people that, that challenge your idea of what is sane and balanced in the world. You wear your offense to protect yourself because you don't want to feel shame and you don't want to feel hurt. But this is what you need to realize your anger and your pride aren't protecting you, they're killing you. This isn't a suit of armor that protects you from attack. Is a suffocating suit that robs you of life. It isn't protecting you. It's killing you. And James is saying, know this, family. He's saying, look, I, I know this. When it comes down to it in your middle of your conflict and, and you're having a disagreement, this isn't going to feel right, but listen to me. Family, know this to be true. It's death. set it aside, and instead receive with meekness the implanted Word. See, when you believed in Jesus, if you are a follower of Christ, His Word was planted in you. That message of grace, that message of God's love was planted within you, and that's where it does its work from the inside out. Christianity isn't about obeying rules. Christianity isn't about conforming to exterior uh, expectations. Christianity is not about growing in self-control and becoming really, really righteous in your behavior. Christianity is about allowing the love of God to transform you from the inside out, allowing the implanted Word to have its proper fruit, to actually respond to the love and grace of God in such a way that it changes you. Receive with meekness the implanted Word because there is power in it. The kind of power that can change you and free you and listen, protect you in ways that your armor of pride can't. There's power in it. That's the way the gospel works. You don't get the blessing of the gospels through self-control. You don't get the blessing of the gospel through self-protection. You get self-control through the blessing of the gospel. It's not like, hey, I'm going to get this anger thing under control. And so you kind of white-knuckle it, and you really apply yourself, and you're like, I'm going to have this, and then I'm going to experience more of God's blessing. That's not the way it works. You need to experience more of God's blessing. (laughs) And from the inside out, you will grow in self-control over your anger. You need to respond to the love of God. You need to lead your heart to respond to the grace of God. You need to come to that place where once again you are amazed that the God of the universe would love you and extend grace to you. You need to come to that place that the tax collector knew so well as he stood there beating his breast in the temple. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. To receive this blessing, you need to receive it with meekness. The Greek word for meekness is the same one for humility. I love that. See, it's in humility that we receive the grace of God, which then changes us and allows us to operate with others in meekness. Now, meekness is a, a beautiful word. It doesn't mean weakness. It doesn't mean soft. It means somebody who knows how to operate in their strength. Somebody who isn't too too lenient when they need to be strong and nor are they too strong when they need to be gentle they they know how to operate within their strength to be meek is to know how to be strong in the appropriate ways to receive it with humility to operate in meekness we receive grace and humility and that empowers us to interact with others with gentleness it is meekness that gives us the power to listen it is meekness that gives us the courage to connect in the midst of conflict. It is meekness that allows us not to be offended. So what happens when we put on humility and we run to grace and we are quick to listen and slow to speak and, and slow to anger? What, what does that look like? I think it looks a lot like empathy. Empathy and understanding see when we are in the midst of a conflict we are having a disagreement with somebody and we are seeking to listen we'll come to see the conflict through their eyes we'll come to see their perspective we'll come to understand their motivations we'll we'll maybe even be able to see ourselves from a different perspective from theirs if it's political, instead of just personal, we'll come to see the issue from their angle. We'll actually come to understand their motivations. This is why you adopt this position. This is why you argue for this thing. Instead of just being offended and astounded that anyone would possibly disagree with you, you come to a place where you can come to understand their motivations. You come to understand why they approach it the way they do. Some of you feel really threatened right now. Because that might mean you're wrong. It might. It might not. Look, just because you listen to grow in empathy, just because you listen to understand, doesn't mean they're right. It doesn't mean that you have, you have checked your brain at the door and given up your ability to, to think critically and evaluate carefully. It means you have given up your ability to self righteously become offended and judge and feel superior, which actually gives you the ability to understand the argument, the conflict, or the political situation more carefully with greater clarity. There are going to be times when you're trying to grow in this that your pride is going to freak out because it's going to feel like you're losing when you're listening to grow in your empathy and somebody is speaking to you rudely when they're expressing their thoughts to you you're like i would listen to you if you would just speak politely we don't always get that opportunity do we sometimes we have to lead out with the character we want to see reflected back to us it doesn't say be quick to hear to people who are quick to hear you it doesn't say be quick to hear those who are nice and and polite and reasonable It says this should be your posture. Be quick to hear. Listen, there are going to be times that your pride, really, I'm not even kidding, man, you're going to be in the middle of an argument, you're going to be in the middle of a Facebook conversation, you're going to be in the middle of a a dispute in your home, and you're going to have this thing that grips your heart that says, if I listen to understand right now, I'm going to lose. And you need to remind yourself, no, you will not lose, but you might grow. And growth is often uncomfortable. If you are quick to hear, you will learn how to reestablish human connection in the midst of conflict. And instead of seeing them as an enemy, you see them as a human. Created in the image of God, just like you. Broken and flawed, just like you. With hopes and ambitions, just like you with desires just like you, with intelligent ways of seeing the world just like you. They just happen to disagree with you. You will find a place of human connection, and that will create a common space of humanity, and it's in that common place of humanity that you will learn to communicate in the midst of conflict. You'll come to empathize with their feelings, and that will allow you to understand their thoughts. And it's in understanding their thoughts that you will no longer be putting your words in their mouth. You'll be able to reflect back to them their very thoughts. You'll be able to say, What I hear you saying is, and they will look at you and say, That is what I'm saying. (laughs) It's in that place that connection occurs, it's in that place that conversation can move forward, it's in that place that conflicts can be resolved. There may be things that you need to learn in that space, hard things about yourself, because there may be things they're seeing in you you don't want to see, but they're real and they're there, which will give you the opportunity to grow in humility. You know the only difference between humility and humiliation, right? Pride. Humility feels like humiliation because we are so proud. When we come to see ourselves as others see us and it gives us the opportunity to apologize, it is an invitation to grow in humility, which is an invitation to grow in strength. We should be followers of Christ, people who apologize a lot. If you never apologize you are not growing in grace. Because we do things wrong. Even when we don't mean to, we say wrong things, we approach things wrong, we see things wrong, we put our words in people's mouths and there are are opportunities for us to simply see those things and to grow. There will be times for us to repent. There are also going to be times, honestly, when you weren't wrong. There are going to be times when there was no evil intent in your heart. But maybe you weren't wise. Maybe without any evil intent at all, you made someone feel hurt. Maybe without any evil intent at all, you made someone feel unsafe. Maybe without any evil intent at all, you helped spark the conflict. Why is it so threatening for us to admit that and own it? To just say, there was no evil intent, but I was not wise and I'm sorry. Because I could have approached that better. I could have said that better. There are going to be times when you listen and you grow in empathy and you grow in understanding and you still don't agree. See, now you can speak because now you're going to be safe. Now you're going to be speaking with empathy, and you're going to be speaking with understanding, and you can speak in such a way that you're not putting your words in their mouth, and you're not misrepresenting their thoughts, and you're you're not assassinating their character. You are able to actually speak from an honest place of humility and empathy, and having heard them, you have invited them into that same experience of humility. When you listen, you often create safe spaces to be heard when you listen first and then speak with the clarity of humility and the gentleness of understanding, you actually increase your volume. You get that? You're speaking softly with gentleness, but you've increased the volume of your words. They can hear you more clearly because you've created a safe space for your words to land. <laughs> you know you're not doing this right when your volume's going up and the things you're being heard are being heard less. Right? That's not James 1. And if we find ourselves in the middle of an argument going down that path, we need to check ourselves, take off the armor of pride in the middle of the conflict and be able to say, wait, 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 I need to be quick to hear. Tell me what you're saying. I'm a... I'm apologizing for my anger. I am apologizing that I came on strong just a moment ago. I really want to hear. Will you tell me? And as they're reluctant because you've just lashed out at them or they're hiding because they're afraid of shame, you can create a safe space in your gentleness, in your meekness for them to come out and be honest. And it's in that place intimacy grows. It is in that place that human connection is made. It is in that place that your soft words are clearly heard. So this has a clear personal implication, doesn't it? I mean, this really does play out every day in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationships with our kids, and our workplaces. But it also plays out in our political life as well. And I can't help but address that because our country is in really bad shape. Our country needs us followers of Jesus to model how to have grace-fueled conflict. I read a recent article lately that described America as two increasingly separate nations, Rightlandian and Leftlandian. They use similar language, but they mean very different things by what they say. They get their news from completely different news sources that are catering to their preconceived biases. They are looking at the world in two completely different ways, and they are losing the ability to communicate. There's less and less intersection between these two worlds. The powerful and the elite benefit from this division. It helps them shore up their base and motivate their voters. It equips them to harness their power. But I can't help but think we are in danger as a nation, as a people, because the experiment of democracy is fragile. And if we don't take the weight of responsibility of living in a democratic republic seriously, we will destroy the very thing that we've tried to create. Listen to me. Every single time you mock somebody on social media, every time you post one of those memes that makes fun of somebody you don't agree- disagree with, somebody t- every time you put words in somebody else's mouth, every time you repost an article, whether or not you, it's really true, But it says what you want to say. You are not being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Every time you use a demeaning phrase to describe somebody with whom you disagree, every time, you're sinning against your Savior and you're working against your own national interest. So, this is going to be hard it's scary and it's messy personally publicly there are going to be times that you try to take off your armor of pride and self-protection and someone's going to say an unpleasant or angry word (laughs) and you're going to jump right back in and you're going to put it back on because you feel exposed and vulnerable and vulnerability feels like weakness doesn't it doesn't it Vulnerability feels like weakness. Whether it's on a on a social platform with, with an audience you don't even know, but even more intimately in your own home with people that are closest to you, doesn't vulnerability, isn't it scary? To let people actually see you, to actually be honest about your desires and, and your frustrations, most of the time we're miscommunicating in conflict. Because we're afraid. We're afraid if I actually say what's going on in my heart, you might despise me. If I actually open up about this hurt, if I actually open up about this desire, you might belittle me. Vulnerability feels like weakness, so you opt for pride instead. So you don't let people in, and you defend yourself, and... and you tell yourself to lie, well, if I don't do it, no one else will. But listen, let me ask you something. When someone is vulnerable, do you perceive them as weak? When someone leads out with you in vulnerability, a friend, a spouse, a coworker when they lead out with that humble confidence of vulnerability, do you perceive them as weak or do you perceive them as courageous? See, what we perceive as weakness in ourselves, we see as courageous in others, because it is. It takes courage to be vulnerable. And it's the kind of courage that only grace can give you. When you experience the undeserved, unreserved love of God, it emboldens you. When you're secure in the fact that the sovereign creator of the universe, the measure of all that is right and beautiful and good, loves you unconditionally and unreservedly. And he has placed his favor on you. He has covered you with the righteousness of his son and he has filled you with the beauty of his spirit. He has implanted within you the message of grace that is transforming you from the inside out. When you are secure in the gospel, you will grow in the courage of vulnerability. So when you're having a hard time listening, run to grace When you find yourself irritable and easily offended, run to grace. When you want desperately to shut somebody down, run to grace. Run to the love of God and it will diffuse your shame and it will give you the courage to take off your armor of pride. At the end of our verse... James put it this way, he says, it is able to save your soul. Now, of course, that means eschatologically. It means eventually, at the end of time, there is a sense in which we shall be saved because of the work of Christ, but it means much more than just one day. It means now. The benefits of the gospel working their way out in your life, saving you from your own self-destruction, saving you from your stifling, self-destroying pride, Run to grace. I think the tax collector's prayer is a good reminder for us. In the midst of all conflict, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. All right, I'm going to close this in a word of prayer, create some space for, for you just to listen to the Spirit. Let God comfort you or convict you, whatever needs to happen. Let me pray for us. We'll share communion in a moment. Father, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God. That you invite us to so much more than we envision for ourselves. We simply want to be protected. You want us to be free. We just want to make uncomfortable things go away. You want to make us so strong that we are are emboldened and strengthened by love and not simply hiding from discomfort. You want to transform us from inside out. We want to conform our outside reality to remove discomfort. Lord, Don't allow us to live in such a small vision for our lives. There is in front of us an invitation to more. Give us an appetite for it. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We're going to share communion in just a moment.